start by saying um, thank you to everybody who was uh, a part of serving at Mayfest yesterday. Um, as some of you may or may not know, um, we had a booth at Mayfest yesterday, the church did, and um, we handed out uh, a bunch of water that our sending church, uh, Glenlock, uh, provided for us, and then we went and bought six more cases um, to hand out. And so I think we uh, figured that maybe close to 300 uh, 300 water bottles passed out yesterday, which is just a great opportunity to um, to meet people in the community. I know there were a handful of um, really solid conversations, like a handful of really interesting conversations, right? We'll just say that. Um, but it was great. It was a great time to be out there and to just be, um, be with the people of our community. And so um, for those of you guys who helped yesterday with that, um, thank you. For those of you who prayed um, for that, thank you. Um, also, just one quick uh, other thing to catch you guys up on. I told you Last week that we were going to be starting a new uh, Fellowship of the Word group in West Georgia on Thursday and Friday, um, and that went really, really well um, also. So um, thank you guys for just your prayers this past week. It's been a busy week in the life of our church, but a lot of great opportunities um, to be a part of um, the work that God is doing to advance his kingdom. And so um, just continue to be in prayer for those things. Um, we transitioned to a new slide. You might have seen it uh, rolling through this morning um, when you got here. Um, but there uh, are uh, the next thing on the horizon is our Chicago workshop, which will be coming up in June. And then this next West Georgia group will meet again in October. And so um, I'm excited to be sharing more with you guys over the next uh, couple of weeks and months about our partnership with LRI and the work that's taking place through Fellowship of the Word um, to see a movement of God's Word take place in every church to every nation on this globe. And so um, thank you guys for, for all of your work. We're in the book of Ruth uh, this morning. Um, we're in the book of Ruth, and so why don't you uh, turn there, turn on to there. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there are some on the table um, to the back, your right, my left, or we will also have it um, on the screen for you as well. We love God's Word. We want you to have a copy of God's Word, and so whether you get a Bible now or you grab one on your way out, if you don't have one, please grab one. Please grab one, um, and we would love to talk to you more about what it looks like to begin reading uh, God's Word and, and coming to know um, um, coming to know our great God uh, from his word. And so um, book of Ruth is where we're going to be this morning. We're in chapter three. We've been doing uh, a chapter a week through the book of Ruth. And so um, we are two chapters in and we're coming into chapter three this morning. And then we will have chapter four in the conclusion of uh, the book of Ruth, the gospel according to Ruth. Um, it's kind of the, the, the theme that we're going along with for this series next week. So um, some of you will be here and some of you, um, sadly enough, will not be because um, we are a church plant on a college campus. And so um, this is always this is a challenging Sunday, man. It's a sad Sunday in some ways, but it's also an exciting Sunday because we do trust in the providence of the Lord to use you on mission where you're going this summer. And so whether you're going through Send Me Now um, to serve uh, somewhere like on this like planet or um, if you're going home for the summer, uh, whatever that kind of looks like, man, we will miss you. We love you. We are grateful um, for your being here over the past couple of months or, or, or even longer and growing with us. It's all a work of grace, right? It's all a work of grace. And so um, know that uh, you will be missed and we look forward to um, coming up with some creative ways to stay in contact over the next few months until you come back in August. Know that we'll be praying for you um, and that we want to continue discipling you and pouring into you in any way that we can over the next few months. So um, we'll talk more about that later. I don't know what's left to say other 
and then I love you guys again, and we'll do that if we need to, which we do, so we will. All right? Cool. We're going to Ruth chapter 3. I got to talk this through in my mind to myself, right, as we're going. So, uh, in the book of Ruth, what have we seen? What have we observed? Man, it has been this beautiful story of God's love and faithfulness. Right, it's been a beautiful story of God's love and faithfulness. And so let me catch you up for just a moment. If you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, you may not even know where the book of Ruth is. And so allow me to help you. It's in the first third of your Bible. Um, it's right after the book of, uh, of Judges. And so go past Genesis, go past Exodus, keep going, and you'll come to the book of Judges. One more over, you'll find the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we see um, a woman named Naomi and her daughter-in-law, whose name happens to be... Ruth, absolutely. Thank you all for following along and being so engaged this morning. Um, In Ruth, we see this new worshiper of Yahweh um, who has, along with her mother-in-law, made uh, her way into the city of bread, back to Bethlehem. And we notice, um, as we work through the first two chapters, uh, that they are uh, an impoverished, needy, and totally reliant bunch, right? They are, they, are, uh, they are impoverished, they are needy, they are totally reliant on the generosity, mercy, and provision of God and his people for the meeting of their most basic daily needs. In Naomi and Ruth, we see this continued encouragement to observe the providence of God in the events of life. What do we mean by that? It is this, that God is working, right? That God is is working to bring about his plan and his purpose in creation. We oftentimes like to refer to that as redemptive history, right? This, This plan and this story that's being told. And it's happening here and in real time in which God is redeeming a people unto himself to the glory of his, uh, to the glory of his great name. Right? In chapter 1, we see repentance and salvation through hardship and loss. In chapter 2, we see the faithfulness of Ruth and the generosity of Boaz, each of which point us towards our great God and his unfolding plan, not only in this big little love story that we are reading through, but in his plan of redemption by way of the better, more faithful, more generous one, Jesus, of whom both Ruth and Boaz serve, interestingly enough, as a type. They remind us, they point us towards Jesus. And at the end, we see Naomi's, the end of our time last week, we see Naomi's wheels beginning to turn. Right? She learns that Ruth has met Boaz, who happens to be a family redeemer, which we'll talk a little bit more about um, in a few minutes, while gleaning in his field, gathering food in his field as a result of God's gracious provision, again, for the needy and the impoverished. Ruth has met Boaz, the one who is able to rescue, care for, and preserve this family. It's, it's really interesting as we consider the dynamic that's being played out over the course of this very short book that is made up of just four chapters. We see, as we go back into um, creation, that God has created humanity in his image. Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27 makes this abundantly clear that we are image bearers of God. 
We see through the Exodus, all stories that lead us into the book of Ruth, that God is the redeemer of his people. And as a result, there's this interesting dynamic, right? And which we say, of course, right? It makes total sense that this creating, redeeming God would instill a system that reflects his character while working towards the fulfillment of his purpose, When we consider this story, this love story that's being told over the course of four chapters that initially appears to be about Ruth and Naomi and then about uh, Ruth and Boaz and then Boaz and his love for like everybody that he comes into contact with. It's really incredible. We talked about that last week. We might get caught up in it and we go, wow, this is just this is an amazing love story between these characters. But what we find is that it's actually this great love story that God is telling that exposes his heart to us and for us, right? Who is God and what is he like? What is he about and what does he desire? We get a glimpse of that through the lives of these, of these people. I love uh, our friends at the Gospel Project, um, or the Bible Project, excuse me, uh, our friends Tim Mackey, right? They're not actually friends. I don't know them personally, but I feel like I do, right? I've gleaned a lot of wisdom from them over the years. Um, and I love the way that they uh, lay out these four chapters and what is being accomplished uh, in God's plan and purposes by way of these these seemingly small, insignificant events. There's even uh, some really neat parallels between chapter 2 and chapter 3. In chapter 2, there's this there's this recognition of need from Ruth and Naomi that, that brings about this, this response in which they begin to go, Ruth gleaning in his field like we already talked about. And then the conclusion in which she finds out we have a kinsman redeemer. That's incredible. There's hope for our family and for our line. And then we come into chapter 3 and we again see this plan being made between Ruth and Naomi. We see an interaction between Ruth and Boaz. And then finally, this celebration between Naomi. Naomi and Ruth. There's a lot of parallel between what we see in chapter 2 and what we see in chapter 3. But as we come into chapter 3, there's an idea that I want us to begin wrapping our minds around as we approach this passage. And that is this, that God is committed to his plan to rescue. God is committed to his plan to rescue as he provides a committed, compassionate redeemer. Let me say that one more time. If you take notes, I would encourage you to write this down. This is going to be really important. God is committed to his plan to rescue as he provides a committed, compassionate redeemer. Now, we're going to see these characteristics displayed in the life of Boaz. But again, as we said in the beginning, Boaz is a type. Right? He points us forward to a, to a more committed and more compassionate redeemer. That's going to serve to be really important as we work through this passage today. And there's a response, right? There's a, there's a response that the author is encouraging his audience towards, that he desires for those who are engaging with this book as they are uh, finding themselves in particular time and space here within the context of the uh, original readers of the book of Ruth and also in our very own context. What does God desire to do and accomplish as this book is recorded and then read by his people? There's an encouragement to look to God for hope. How do we respond? What is the response? What is the desired response? What is the intended response? What is the goal? It is this, that in light of God's God's, uh, committedness to his plan, we are to look to God and hope. 
hope for redemption and strength and leadership, all the while confident in his purposes. Here it is. We can boil it down to this. How do we respond to what we're going to see this morning? Here it is. Ready? Trust in God. Right? Trust in God. Now, we're going to say a lot of things about those three words, right? But that's the basis. That's the foundation. We're called into a greater trust and reliance um, in God this morning. And so let's look together at Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And let's read. This is, this is God's word, and we are grateful to have it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you uh, were? See, he is, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for, I, uh, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Right? If he'll redeem you, great. Let him do that. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So here it is. Somebody, hey, you're getting redeemed, right? There's going to be some redeeming that's happening here, right? Whether it's him or whether it's me, somebody is is doing some redeeming today, and thus things are going to work out really well for you. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize uh, another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. That's really important. We're going to talk about that. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Hey, let's pray together. 
Lord, thank you for your word and for your great goodness and for your great generosity. We're grateful that you have um, that you have sustained us and that you have sustained your word. And now we see this collision happening this morning as a sustained people encounter your sustained life giving word. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. Uh, to the truth that you have to communicate to us today, that it might transform us, that it might produce within us a desire to, um, to worship you and to live on mission for you because you are good. You do good. And we're grateful for that. And it's in the name of our King Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Two observations that I want us to consider uh, today. Two, right? Really simple. Two observations. First, we see a committed redeemer. Secondly, we see a compassionate redeemer. And we said in the beginning that in each one of these, we are pointed towards a a more committed, more compassionate redeemer, Jesus. And so let's begin by, by unpacking that which is observable from this passage as it relates to a committed redeemer. In verses 3 through 5, we see a piece of what might initially appear to be questionable counsel from Naomi to Ruth. Right, some commentators have gone back and forth about what's going on in this scene and just what exactly Naomi is encouraging Ruth towards. Right, is, there, is this some type of symbol, sinful behavior or posture that she's encouraging from Ruth in order to force things a little bit and to bring about the redemption of this family? I don't think that's what's happening, and I think that God's word helps us to understand that that's not what is happening. But as we pick up in verse 3, we see this call, wash and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Right? Interesting, interesting scene here. Right? And he will tell you what to do at verse 5. And she replied, hey, well, hey, all you said, I will do that. I'm a part of, I'm a part of that. Sinclair Ferguson asks an interesting question about the beginning of this passage. He writes... It's really interesting how Naomi tells Ruth, her daughter-in-law, to perfume herself and to put on her most attractive clothes and go down to the threshing floor in the middle of the night and lie down beside a man that she is not married to and see what happens. We see how this could initially appear to be a bit of a scandalous event, right? It looks like, initially, horrible advice from Naomi to Ruth, especially, especially difficult advice to swallow given Ruth's consideration of Naomi in chapter 2. To go out and to gather for the two of them, her considering that which is good for Naomi and desiring that which is good for Naomi. And if we approach this scene as one that is anything other than desiring that which is good for Ruth and Boaz, then we're left going, this is a major like misbalance of what's going on here. Right? Ruth appears to be desiring that which is good for Naomi, but here if we read the passage as though there's some type of, of sinful evil intention in Naomi's advice to her, we go, wait, well this looks like Ruth certainly cares more about Naomi than Naomi cares about Ruth. It appears to be more of what I can get as a result of who you are, right? Your redemption means good things for me too, perhaps. Only, 
A careful consideration of what we see recorded later on in God's word brings greater insight into the instruction of Naomi to Ruth and its purpose. I want us to look briefly at Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 8 through 12. Now you can turn there or you can just lean in and you can listen. In Ezekiel chapter 16, we see Ezekiel writing of the Lord's faithfulness to his bride and his work to make her his. And this is what is written, beginning in Ezekiel 16 verse 8. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you are at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and and, and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with garments and I put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck and I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. The Lord's faithfulness The Lord's faithless bride and his work of faithfulness to make her his. As we consider Ezekiel chapter 16 in light of the advice of Naomi and the the impending circumstances and situations that we see in chapter 3, it begins to look more like Naomi is not providing sinful, misguided instruction to Ruth, but instead is providing instruction to Ruth that will send not a seductive signal, but a very clear signal to Boaz that Ruth is desiring rescue. That Ruth is desiring his rescue. That Ruth is desiring that Boaz would redeem her. That he would rescue her and Naomi. That he would care for them as a kinsman redeemer is intended to care for one. And so the question then is, as Naomi sends Ruth away, right, having having perfumed up, right, and put on her finest clothes, like how is Boaz going to respond to this call, to this invitation out of desperation that Boaz would redeem Ruth and Naomi? We get a glimpse in verse 6. Look there with me. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now, it's interesting to notice that what had began in the light of day has now transitioned into the darkness. And there is this opportunity for great sin. How is Boaz going to respond? She came softly and she uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and he turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? It's dark as night, like real night, not night like city night, right? Where there's lots of street lights and, and headlights and taillights that bring uh, almost complete and utter darkness to, to a complete halt, right? There is no such thing. But in this scene, it's, it's dark, 
And, and, and Boaz is asking his most interesting question of the woman lying at his uncovered feet. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And then she says these most interesting words, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. To which he said, verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made uh, this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. But now, my daughter, do not fear. What does he say? I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. You have a reputation and I have a reputation. And that's going to prove to be really important as we continue on through this story. And your reputation is good. And therefore, as a, as a result, man, there's a redeemer closer than me. But if he doesn't do it, then I will. Verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning, and if he will redeem you, great, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down then until morning. It is in the darkness here that we observe opportunity for sin. Only in light of this opportunity for for sin, seduction... Evil and that which is undesirable from the Lord, we see the godliness of Boaz shining the brightest. Right? It's 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 in the darkness that we see Boaz, this redeemer and articulator of what he knows to be true and right from the light. Right? As he finds himself in this most what could be, if company were different, precarious of circumstances. Boaz both remembers what he knows to be true from his time in the light, and then he articulates it, right? That which is good and that which is desirable from the Lord. What does it look like to live a life of godliness? We get a great picture here from Boaz, don't we? This is what it looks like to live a life of godliness. When opportunity for sin presents itself, Boaz goes back to what he had learned in the light. Now, what we're using this imagery like this, right? That, that as we dwell in God's word, we dwell in light, right? Like this is, this is light, right? It exposes sin and need within the fallenness of the human condition. Right, we see our need and we see the great light of the Lord. We see the love of the Lord and his pursuit after sinners, his, commission, his commitment to their redemption, to our redemption. And as we encounter difficulty and hardship in the dark, what do we do? Well, we, we bring the light to it. Right, we talk about this oftentimes in, in relation to the way that we engage and interact with one another in DNA groups. What are DNA groups? These are small groups here at Christ the King in which one, two, three people meet together. And they practice certain disciplines like prayer and confession, reading God's word. Why? Why do we need, why is there, why is confession in the context of DNA groups so important? Well, because it's this opportunity for God's people to take what is dwelling in darkness and bring it to the light, right? To, to share it, to speak of it, and to be encouraged and held accountable. To, to progress on in holiness and godliness, 
Right? That's the, the desire. Here we see a great illustration of Boaz practicing this on an individual basis. Opportunity for sin? No way. Right? Let's bring into the darkness that which we have learned in the light. We see this committed redeemer mirroring the great redeemer as he looks to God's word in the face of possible temptation. What is God's desire? Right? How does God intend that we would live in connection and in community with one another? Well, we get a great glimpse of that here from, from Boaz. Ruth, in different company, might find herself in a most precarious situation, right? Someone who would be willing to take advantage of her, right? It's dark. Nobody's around. It's late. But Boaz displays godly character. Right, and great respect for, as we have seen again and again over the course of their interaction, Ruth. We see that Boaz is waiting on the timing of God. We see that Boaz has displayed a biblical mind and work, processing God's word and its implications practically in our lives. Let's ask this question. We see Boaz do it, processing God's word and its implications practically in life. The question then for you and I is, do we do the same? Right? Do we do the same thing? Do we, do we ingest the book? Do we eat the book? And then do we process life in light of what God's word has to say? Do we consider it? Right? Do we consider what God has, has said and then respond in light of what he has said in the precarious situations that we find ourselves in in this life? We see that there is a trust in God from Boaz to accomplish his plan and to bring about his purposes that leads to observable godly character in Boaz. And so let's say this. What does it look like to have godly character? What does it look like to possess godly character? Well, it's to possess attributes that we see um, encouraged for God's people from his word that we are strengthened by the spirit to begin living, right? We don't, we don't live with godly character in our own strength. It's an impossibility, right? But, but in the strength of the Lord, we pursue after godliness in accordance with his words, submitting ourselves to all that it has to say and looking to him for hope and encouragement, strength to live in light of what he has said. Do we get this? Like, do we get this what it looks like to, to live the Christian life? This is what it looks like to pursue after righteousness and, and progression of holiness from one degree uh, to the next, right? It's all informed by God's word. Culture doesn't inform the way that we live, the way that we respond, right? Our, our feelings, man, our feelings do not determine how we live and how we respond. Our feelings are fickle, right? Our hearts are fickle and prone to wander. And so what do we do? How do we respond? Man, we respond in light of what God has said, right? His instruction for his people and our reliance on him. Now, here's the thing, too. Why would we do that? Well, because he's rescued us. All that you have said, we will do. Now, we know that we fall drastically and dramatically, desperately short in that area. But it does not mean that we as God's people don't continuously say, hey, what you have said, that is our desire. Right? That's what we desire. That's what we desire to live. We don't submit ourselves to our feelings. We don't submit ourselves to our flesh, but we submit ourselves to God's word. Now, here is the good news, right? That there is great grace for all of us who have fallen short in this area. 
right? Where we have succumbed to our feelings and to our flesh. There is gospel hope, right? That that God does not leave us, but he sticks close to us, right? That he continues to, to guide us. He brings us into fellowship close with him and close with one another. It says people, so we continue to encourage one another in this, in this Christian life, in this walk. Do you guys get this? Are we good? Are we all right so far? Are we good? Okay, awesome. Everybody's kind of like, uh, don't let me wake you up or anything, but are we good? Okay, we're good. All right, let's continue. Let's continue on then. Boaz responds to Ruth's request with this promise to redeem. I will, I will marry noble Ruth. Right? We've seen Ruth's noble character come out again and again over the course of the last few chapters that we've been in this, in this book. It's come out again and again, and we see here a commitment from, from Boaz, this committed redeemer, to redeem noble Ruth. And what we find is that this is a character trait that Ruth of Ruth's that Boaz desires to receive remain intact. And so we begin by observing Boaz's commitment, but then we transition into his compassion and consideration of Ruth. How do we see in verses 14 through 18, Boaz's compassionate consideration of Ruth? Look there with me, verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Why? Well, because there's a reputation that has has been developed, a noble reputation in light of Ruth's care for her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her coming into this, this city in which she knows no one. Making a profession, a confession of faith, being rescued, being saved, becoming one of God's people. She has a reputation. She has a noble character now. And this is recognized from Boaz. And he desires that her noble character would remain intact. And so he says, hey, yes, this was a potentially precarious position that we were in. And so as a result, let us send you away, we see as we continue on, with some, with some barley. So that no one would be confused about what happened here. That news would not begin to circulate the streets of Bethlehem. Hey, did you guys see, I mean, did you see Ruth leaving Boaz's threshing floor like early this morning? Did you guys catch that? Did you notice that? Did you see that happening? We thought she had super noble character and we really thought we understood who Boaz was. But now there are a lot of questions that have arisen in light of what we have observed. And so Boaz recognizing this and displaying compassionate character says, bring me your, uh, your garment, right, that you were wearing. She holds it out. He measures out six measures of barley, and he put it on her. Then she went to the city. And so what was, hey, what was Ruth doing there? Maybe she's picking up some, like, picking up some barley from Boaz, right? No big deal, no sweat. Nobody thinks anything of it. Nothing has happened. No sinful behavior. In fact, quite the opposite. She comes home. The mother-in-law. Wants to know what's going on, right? What happened? What happened last night? 
How did you how did you fare? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, verse 17, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. Man, wise Boaz, right? Let's let's make it clear, right? I want to make it clear that, that Naomi is a part of this. Right, that she is not on the outside looking in, but by way of this redemption process, there is great consideration of Naomi and her need in the midst of this. She replied, verse 18, wait, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. We see in verse 17 this emphasis on the full provision of Boaz for Ruth as well as Naomi. Think about how this story begins. Think about Ruth chapter 1. In Ruth chapter 1, we see Naomi and her husband, her family, they're leaving Bethlehem, the city of bread, in light of this famine to pursue better opportunity in the land of Moab. And there's this picture of them leaving full, right? Wife, husband, husband, wife, children, like they're just, they're venturing out, right? We've got one another. But then we said at the end of chapter one, she comes back and she is, she has been emptied, hasn't she? Right? All of the, the self-reliance and self-satisfaction, arrogance perhaps that was present in the first part of Ruth chapter 1 has been stripped away by way of what initially appears as as hardship right and and undoubtedly is hard but but great generosity and grace from the Lord to draw Naomi back to empty her to humble her to bring her to a position in which she acknowledges her need and her reliance on the Lord. That's what we see in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see them them gathering food, again, reliant on the Lord and his provision, that which he has instilled in his word for his people that those who are in need might have a place to go and eat. And now in verse 17, we see Boaz sending them sending Ruth home with with food. Why is that important? Is that important? Is that valuable? I think so. I think that we see this this message being communicated by Boaz by way of this barley going home. And it's not just a protection of the character of Ruth, although we do certainly see that. But, But we see, in essence, Boaz communicating to Ruth and to Naomi that you are to be redeemed. Right, that this wedding proposal of sorts has been received and we are moving forward and taking action. And as a result, you will not find yourself in need. Right, but I'm, I'm meeting your needs. I am meeting your provision. I'm providing provision. Altogether empty Naomi has been brought back by the kindness of God and is now being rescued and filled. That's the first thing that we observe. The second in verse 18 is this, is this call from Naomi. Yet again, wise counsel to Ruth. Be patient. Boaz will resolve this. Trust in his capable hands. That's the message. right? The message in verse 17 is to trust in the capable hands of Boaz. Now, here's what we need to realize in light of this very simple statement at the end. 
is that this is the message that God's people have needed. Right? This is the message that God's people today need, that we can trust in the capable hands of our Creator, that we can trust in the capable hands of our Redeemer, that that which has been entrusted into the hand of the King will not be lost, right? But that we can, we can rest, we can display patient confidence, or perhaps confident patience, whichever way you want that to work out. Why? Well, because there is this, this great confident, confident, confidence in the capability of, of our Redeemer. In the same way that we see that advice extended from Naomi to Ruth, we see it extended this morning from the pages of Scripture to you and I. Confidence in the capable hands of our Redeemer. In Boaz, we observe a committed Redeemer. In Jesus, we observe the committed Redeemer. Right? We see a type in Boaz. We see that he is committed to the redemption of Naomi and Ruth in a most admirable way. But again, in, in Boaz, we are being pointed towards a greater rescuer, a greater redeemer. This is what Peter writes in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this promise since Christ also suffered for you. Where do we observe over the scope of redemptive history the the committed nature of our God and King? We observe it at the cross, don't we? Right? That our redemption has come at great cost. That our rescue has come at great cost. That we are fallen, we're broken, we're rebellious, we're sinful, we're needy, and we're empty. And yet we see this story, this story, that's told over the course of 66 books that brings us to deeper understanding of God's great love and his commitment to the redemption of his people. Boaz is a, man, he's a committed redeemer. But Jesus is, is the committed redeemer. Right, in the same way as God's people were then, we are now. Our justification, our redemption before the Lord is found by grace through faith. We are called into it. He extends it out. He gives it to us. And now, as a result, we live as a committed people. This is the response to the realization of the commitment of our Redeemer. How do we respond in light of this understanding of the committed nature of our Redeemer? We get a picture of it in Romans chapter 12. Are we grateful? Are we grateful? Right, do we understand our need? Do we understand our emptiness? Do we understand the commitment of Jesus to rescue us? If we do, then there's a certain response that's produced. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is just one example of this in which Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We have been made holy and acceptable before God through the redeeming work of our King and Savior, Jesus. And as a result, when we get this, when we grasp this, we present our lives to Him. Right? It's spiritual worship. We give ourselves to Him. Our bodies are now living sacrifices offered to the Lord. 
It displays the goodness of God and our gratitude for what he has done. In Boaz, we observe a compassionate redeemer. This is verses 14 through 18. Care for the rep of Ruth. Right? Care for his rep. Care for God's rep. There's a lot of care that's going on in verses 14 through 18. A lot of consideration. This isn't a haphazard move on behalf of Boaz. In Boaz, we observe a compassionate redeemer. In Jesus, we observe the compassionate redeemer. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17. Therefore, he had, made, uh, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty might become rich. Jesus displays great compassion as our Redeemer, becoming sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is the message of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus displays great compassion as our Redeemer. He becomes sin for us upon the tree so that we could become the righteousness of God. And that statement is sure and it is fixed in time and the resurrection of our king is evidence of that. That it's trustworthy, that it's true, that we can rest confident in the hands of our redeemer. And as a result, we, like Boaz, rescued from sin and aware of the great love and generosity of God, extend compassion to the undeserving. We worship God and we extend compassion to the undeserving. And in doing so, we point to the redeemer of our souls, Jesus. Do we get it? Do we get how the gospel practically informs the way that we live our lives? We've seen incredible generosity from Boaz to Ruth and Naomi over the course of the last two chapters. This is a gospel-informed generosity. This is a God-informed generosity. This is how God's people now live their lives in this one aspect as a result of what we now enjoy. Fellowship with God and most unique fellowship with one another. And so how do we respond? Let's close out our time. Here we go. You guys ready for this? This is it. Last bit. As God's people, confident in his character, we wait For his purposes, confident that he will bring them to pass. As God's people, confident in his character, we wait for his purposes. We go back to the cross and we see evidence of the character of God, his goodness and his justice, his holiness, his judgment upon sin and his rescue of sinners by way of repentance and faith. We rest confident in the character of God. We wait for his purposes. Man, we don't wait well. We don't wait well often, (laughs) right? We don't wait well. Like we want to hurry up in everything, in almost everything, right? In most things. Man, we wait confident in the plan and the purposes of our great God. We trust God. That's it, right? We said it in the beginning. We trust God. Three words. We trust, 
We trust God. We can trust God. He has proven himself trustworthy or and or again and again. God and his smiling providence are all over this book. Right? God and his smiling providence are all over this book. And if we step back and we consider our lives, then I would venture to guess that, that many of in this room can say that God and his smiling providence have indeed been all over our lives. When we get this, there is an inspired trust in God. Right, instilled among his people to pursue him, to slay sin, to live his mission. We come to the end of ourselves, our strength and our knowledge, and we look to him in faith to work his plan. And so let us trust in God. Let us trust in the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us cry out to him and ask him that in our lives, in areas where we withhold trust, that those things would be torn down, that they would be dismantled and thrown out, and that we would come to a position of ultimate trust in our king, in our creator, come what may. That's where we are as God's people, right? That's where we are. Let's be there. Let's trust in the Lord this morning. Let's trust in the Lord. Thank you.